Okay. Good morning again, and uh, and wonderful to be here. And I and I and I do pray that the the message this morning is a blessing to you. We've been uh, had we've had a, decided to have a small interruption with regards to the Book of Romans, and uh, and have a look at a just a short uh, a short series with regards to the times that we're living in. And and in light of last week's message, this week I decided to title the. Um, uh, the message here and the message for this small series is simply as ambassadors, ambassadors. And it's vitally important because it helps us to understand who we are, why, why we are here, what's the purpose of our being here, um, and sets in light for us an understanding that this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We are sent by our king to be an ambassador to to this world and to and to these and to the people that are here. So the portion of text we're going to be looking at this morning is in Second Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Second Corinthians chapter five, and we're going to be just reading from verses sixteen to twenty-one. Second Corinthians chapter five and from verse from verse sixteen. All there? All right. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The sermon this message this morning is based on that text. It brings to us an understanding of who we are in Christ. Last week's message, when we had a look at last week and the consideration that was with respect to a time to choose acknowledges something about Christians uh, and it was really specifically directed to Christians. It wasn't directed necessarily to a heathen world. It was directed to Christians. It was directed to us. It was directed to our focus that no longer would we have a focus on this world. We've been treating this world as our graven image. We've been treating this world as the place in which we gain our hope. We've been looking at this world as that which would which would give us the peace and the comfort that we are supposed to be gaining from the Lord. And, and it breaks my heart because in doing so, when this world goes the way Scripture teaches it will go, we, our hope goes with it. And that's not the hope that we are to have. We are to have an everlasting hope, a, a hope that is sure, a hope that is certain, a hope that irrespective of what happens here, we, we rejoice in. So Elijah brings to us that understanding, saying to us, how long halt ye between two opinions? 
If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then, then follow him. Make a choice. Make a decision. And instead, many Christians, instead, they've been worshipping the world. They've been, holding, they've been giving themselves over as a sacrifice to the world, hoping that if they give themselves as a sacrifice to the world, the world will repay them in kind and bless them. But it doesn't work that way. And as we've started to see that it doesn't work that way, rather than turn our attentions to the Lord, many Christians have doubled down. They've doubled down. They're still holding hope in this world and in this life. And so they give more to the world. They give more to the world. And they, they sacrifice more of their lives to the betterment of this, of this life and this world, even though they have their hope in Christ. And yet in the end, we still find that there is neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Just as we saw with regards to the 450 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings. (laughs) We cry to this world to save us, but this world doesn't have an interest in us. Why? Because the world does not belong to the Lord anymore. It belongs to the devil. This world has been handed to him as his dominion for a time. Yet we are sent. We are sent. We are sent by the Lord as ambassadors to this world. If you are born again, if you're saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're saved by your faith in him, then you've already made that choice. You made that choice long ago. You made the choice already to be a people of a holy nation, a different nation. This is what the Apostle Peter says. Um, You're the very ones that the Bible describes as desiring a better country that is and heavenly wherefore god is not ashamed to be called their god these are those who lived by faith in the old testament and these are we who live by faith now in the new you who made that choice are officially citizens of heaven who peter said but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood an holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light you see how peter refers to it have a look at that again he says in first peter 2 9 he says you're a chosen generation you're a royal priesthood you're a holy nation a peculiar people peculiar as in set apart not peculiar as in weird strange just set apart a separate people that that this is the purpose that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light we are to shine the light of the gospel of the lord jesus christ to this dark world we are ambassadors of another nation of a holy nation we are ambassadors of the king of kings and the lord of lords we are strangers and pilgrims in this world and in this life we are not to regard it as our home this is not your home but far too many who long ago made that choice to obtain this heavenly citizenship have too long desired to make this world home we're called by god to be an ambassador to this world to bring the news of salvation to a lost world but they act as if defection is an option and there's a lot of Christians that are doing that today. And, as, and you can usually tell that there has been a, a semblance of that within, uh, within Christians when there is such a 
not a concern or a fear for things that are to come, but a loss, a, a, a sadness of a loss of that which is gone before. And I, I'll admit to you, I'm, 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 I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. I'm, I'm guilty of, of also having a part of my life hinged to this world. You know, there are ambassadors that are sent from nations to nations to speak about, you know, the, the king of the nation that they came from and to continue to plead that nation's cause to the nation that they are sent to. And many of these individuals were born in that foreign land. And, uh, but they have spent such a considerable amount of time in their new nation that there's a good chance that the years that they've spent there has overtaken the years that they spent in the previous nation. Um, so you can understand them looking at that nation as their home, looking at the politics of that nation as affecting them uh, personally. You can see that they begun, begin to have a, a hook and an interest in that nation that they are sent to as ambassadors. Well, beloved, honestly, what more of us who have never seen heaven? So it's understandable. I'm not saying that it's not understandable and I'm not, please understand from this perspective, I'm not making the claim that, um, that this is not something that, that would happen to Christians. This is certainly something that can happen to Christians. But uh, my call through this message is that we need to no longer feel this way. We need to recognise that we cannot defect. We are in every way uh, ambassadors of another nation. We have a dual citizenship. You know, we do have a dual citizenship. But that dual citizenship doesn't mean we serve both. We serve the Lord. We are sent by Him. We were bought with a price. And being bought with a price, we are His for His use and for His time. You are an ambassador for Christ, and the time of your sojourning here is coming to a close. Um, but what is an ambassador? What's the work? What's the role? What's the work that we might understand it, that we might be able to fulfill this with joy? Well, the word ambassador appears 12 times in 12 verses in the Bible. Um, so we, uh, we get an opportunity to glean a little bit from that. And we're going to note four areas that we're going to be considering. Number one is that an ambassador is from another nation. Number two, that an ambassador is a messenger. Number three, that an ambassador's message is of warning. And number four, that an ambassador's message is of salvation. So you can see that it finishes on an incredible high, but it gives us a purpose. An ambassador is from another nation. Turn your Bibles to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 9. Book of Joshua, chapter 9. And uh, verse 36, you'd recognize this particular passage. It's incredible. It's, so you've got the five books of Moses, then you have the book of Joshua. They've crossed over. They've crossed over into the promised land. They've, they've left the old land. They've finished their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they've crossed over the Jordan and they've come into the new land. And their aim at this point is to conquer the nations that are before them to enter into Canaan. They've already dealt with Ai. They've already dealt with Jericho. Both of those nations have already been dealt with. And now as they're moving through, there's a people called the Gibeonites that are actually coming to them. And they pretend that they're from a faraway land. They give the appearance 
that they are from a faraway place. Have a look at what it says. So Joshua chapter 9, verse 36. The Joshua, Joshua chapter 9, from 3 to 6. That's what I said. That's 36. I don't know where you get that from, Maria. Joshua 9, from verse 3 to 6. Um, and when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done what, what, had, what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wilily. In other words, they were, they were sneaky. They were being very sneaky. They did work wilily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouted upon their, old shoes clouted upon their feet, and old garments upon them. And all the bread of their provision was dry and mouldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp of, at Gilgal, and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. Joshua and the captains of Israel were deceived very early on by these men who claimed to be from a far country. They claimed to be ambassadors sent to Joshua for peace and to join together in league. This is the first time the word appears in the scriptures. And oftentimes, if you're ever doing a study on words in the Bible, can I ask you to use the Bible as your dictionary? So oftentimes you'll find the first appearance of a word has a tremendous amount of significance. So what we discover here is that ambassadors are from a far country. Uh, Number two, that the ambassadors that are here are to make league with the nations into which they are sent. They are to preach for the purpose of peace. They are to be there to join in union with those people to tell them of the peace and of the place that they came from. Now, this is not a great example with respect to our purpose because these people begin in deceit. Nevertheless, the idea that they come from a far country is vitally important for us because that's the same for us. Ambassador is from a foreign land, another nation. Most evident is in this passage but it's also seen in Second Chronicles 23, uh, sorry, Second Chronicles 32, oh, suffering with dyslexia today. Second Chronicles 32, verse 31, where Hezekiah receives the men from the nation of Babylon. You remember that account? Hezekiah receives them. They were ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, says the text. The same again we see in Second Chronicles 35, verse 21, where there were ambassadors from the king of Egypt. So an ambassador is from another nation. We've got exactly the same today. In Australia, we have ambassadors from most of the nations around the world. They're here to speak to us of their own land. They're here to bring tidings back from the place of that nation. And they remain here continually petitioning Australia and its government to um, make league and to, uh, for the betterment of both nations to join together and for the betterment of both nations. And, um, and we see that within the, 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 the natural states that are here. There have been times that ambassadors have lived in foreign lands longer than the land of their birth. This idea for us, though, is a strange one because remember I mentioned that we're, we're ambassadors of another nation, but we've never seen that nation. Well, we haven't been to heaven. And it's really difficult to get into our minds how how can we bring the tidings of heaven to the world when we've never actually been there. And yet 
The Bible actually tells us exactly what the tidings of that world is. But there's something else. There's something else that's really interesting. Um, Paul refers to himself as an ambassador. And he's got, a, he's got an interesting passage in the Bible that he refers to himself as an ambassador in Ephesians. In Ephesians 6.19, he says, As for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am, present tense, an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here is Paul writing this from a prison cell. And he's asking and desiring that he might still be an ambassador. He might still speak about that heavenly kingdom. So you can be in the absolute depths and yet you can still be sharing the wonderful news of the kingdom of heaven to those who are even your captors. But how can we do this when we've never been there before? Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And let's have a look at how Jesus refers to this this kingdom that we come from, the kingdom of God. And it gives us an understanding of what we recognize with respect to the kingdom of God only while we are yet here, while we are here and yet alive. uh, Luke 17. Luke 17 is the passage and we'll read from just two verses there, 20 to 21. Because the question was asked by the Pharisees with respect to the kingdom of God. Luke seventeen twenty. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Beloved, there's a real physical place called heaven. And it's a place that everybody who is destined to be there everybody who has given their their hearts to the Lord, everybody who has been saved by faith, um, we are going to gather there. We are going to be there. We are going to gather. And we are going to be there as one unbelievable family. A time that we are going to be rejoicing in, in hymns and in singing and in knowing the Lord and being with Him in a perfect fellowship with perfect peace, with no animosity coming against us, with, with no... Um, there's going to be a perfect unity when we are with the Lord in heaven. That's what we're looking forward to. But he says that the kingdom of God is within you. Every single born-again believer has the experience and the knowledge of Christ within him. The Holy Spirit is within us, bearing witness of this heavenly place. The Bible says that the Spirit is given to us as the earnest of our expectation, as the earnest of our inheritance. In other words, as the deposit a down payment this is just a touch of heaven and it's in you this is a touch of the kingdom of god and it's within you and nobody who is a christian can deny that we cannot deny that experience that knowledge within us that we have a heavenly home to look forward to there's something else though there's something else we have also within us a uh, a yearning a longing there's a there's a certain homesickness that we also experience. And if you've ever been away from your family for a certain amount of time, even if you've ever gone on holidays, um, you get to a point while you're away uh, to, I don't know, a, a point where you're longing for home, a point where you're homesick. You're looking forward to being back with your family. 
no, this is not a house that you're really looking forward to necessarily going back to. It's a family. It's relationships. Everything about us revolves around relationships. Our joy, our comfort, our peace, our happiness revolves around relationships. It's never the place necessarily. It's the relationship. Um, heaven is just the same. Heaven is just the same. It's not the place. It's not the place. It's the relationship. And the pivotal relationship that we long to be together with is God. Beloved, if God wasn't in heaven, heaven wouldn't be heaven. You know? So we know within ourselves that there is an experience respecting heaven that we bring as ambassadors here. And that's what we teach. And that's what we preach. And people can see it within you. They can see heaven within you. Um, they see the hope that you have that is anything from, from, that is so far apart from anything the people of the world have. So, number one, firstly, you are an ambassador, and as an ambassador, you are from another nation. Secondly, an ambassador is a messenger. Paul wrote of the Lord Jesus Christ saying that he hath committed unto us, this is the passage that, we, that we're in, he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled. To God. What's clear is that an ambassador is a messenger. He's one who is sent by its king to bring news, tidings, a message, a message to the land in which he is sent. Proverbs 13.7 says, A wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador, ambassador is health. So we see two, a link there, a messenger and an ambassador is linked there in Proverbs thirteen seventeen. Uh, uh, an ambassador is a messenger. We're called by God to be ambassadors to this world, having for this world a message, and a message most importantly, a message of reconciliation, a message of reconciliation. Benjamin Franklin was one of the most famous ambassadors in the world. His role came also as an ambassador at the most pivotal time in the history of the United States. It was the time of the American Revolution against Great Britain. And it was at that time that Benjamin Franklin was an ambassador. And he was an ambassador of the United States to France. And in that relationship with Benjamin Franklin and France, bringing the tidings of liberty and freedom that America sought for to France, it was at that time that the most pivotal thing happened and that was the Treaty of Paris in 1783. And this formally ended America's War of Independence. And there was a gift given to the United States of America by the people of France. Does anybody remember what that was? It's a big gift. The Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty was given from France to the United States. And that was a direct result of, of that role of Benjamin Franklin as the ambassador of the United States to France. Benjamin Franklin was skilled in his work, but it was his gifts in other areas that actually best suited him to the work. Um, ben Franklin was a printer, began life as a printer. He was a writer, an inventor, a politician, a scientist, and a philosopher. And all these skills put together made him the most ideal man set for the purpose of securing peace between England 
and the United States. And in a very real way, you are the most perfect person that God has set to be as an ambassador to bring the message of peace, the message of reconciliation to someone to secure peace between you and God, between them and God. That's you. That's your role. Everything about your background, everything about all your experiences of life, everything about who you are, your testimony, how you came to Christ, all of that, all of that is makes you the perfect, the most ideal person to be able to share the gospel to someone. Matter of fact, there is someone in the world today that cannot come to Christ but by your testimony, but by your message. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your background is. The Bible says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's all of us. That's all of us. You first qualify for the role having yourself been first reconciled to God through Christ. That's your qualification. You want to know what your qualification is to preach the gospel? That's it. That's it. That's where it starts. That's where it finishes. Your background, your life, your testimony, your personality, your love for Christ, um, your love for this lost world as well. We have a love for the lost world. We have a love for the lost that are in the world. And we have a burden for that. This all sets you up as the most ideal person through whom someone will hear the message of reconciliation through you as an ambassador. Just as everything about Benjamin Franklin qualified him for his role, so too God will use everything about you, everything about you as perfectly suited to bring the message of eternity to the life of someone else. I'm a pastor. I am not eloquent. I am of slow speech and of a slow tongue. I am not learned. I am not suited to this work as an ambassador. How many of you have thought this about yourselves? You know, I'm not really qualified for this work. I can't do this. You know, I don't. I don't have the gift of the gab. You know, um, so many people think that you needed to have more education. You need to have more knowledge. You need to have more wisdom. You need to have more might, more passion to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you ever thought of that? I certainly thought of that as well. Uh, and how many have ever thought that maybe the opposite might be true? Maybe the opposite might be true. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not the wise things of the world that is going to bring the world to Christ. Maybe God won't use the wise of the world. The world looks to the wise man to lead him to life, but does God... Also use the foolish to bring the world to eternal life. Could that be true? I can give you some proof. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And have a look and a listen to Paul and what he says here. Coming from his lips. And if you don't believe this, then I can't really help you. This is This is... It's up to you to believe this or not. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Verse 26. Have a look at what he says. He says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. This is a call of God to the foolish of the world to confound the wise. You think yourself not wise enough? Guess what? You're perfect. You think yourself a fool? Guess what? You're perfect. You think yourself inadequate for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? You've already passed training, basic training 101. You know, you are ready to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because of your own humility and recognizing that you yourself can't bring a single person to a saving faith. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. We're watching on, um, uh, I think it was uh, Disney, the issue with regards to uh, 9-11 that happened um, 20 years ago now. And the, I was struck by an individual who, who you know, remember this, he was, he was the plainest of men. He'd suffered for himself. He'd struggled and everything like that. And he was saying in that documentary that he got up late that day, got up late to a message by his sister, his sister, estranged sister, they, they didn't have much of a relationship, who said, uh, I hope you're okay. I know you'd be down there helping them out. Well, he didn't even know what down there was. Um, he didn't even know that a plane struck one of the towers in the United States. And he's like, why would you think that I'd be down anywhere? You know, and he had a look. And he's like, he saw it. He was shocked by it. But he had no interest whatsoever in going down there to help. He, 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 wasn't, he was a paramedic. And he had no interest. He thought maybe he might look, well, I might go down there, I might go down there and give people a bit of water or something like that. But his entire motivation was not to save a single person. His entire motivation was to be able to respond to his sister. Yeah, yeah, I was down there. I was down there, you know. He was so brutally honest about his lack of interest, lack of ability, uh, lack of care, lack of concern. And I looked at Maria and I said, what's the bet as, we, as this documentary goes on with this account? He's going to be the, uh, the reluctant hero of the day. And, and certainly he became the reluctant hero. He heard the voice of somebody in the rubble. And the man was the last person that was pulled out of the rubble of the, uh, of the, the, the Twin Towers fall, collapse. So in, he then acknowledges, it wasn't me that did it. It wasn't me that did it. He said, it was the Lord. The Lord worked in me. I had no interest. He wanted to make sure that we understood I had no interest. But it was God that did it. All I did was show up. And, and that's, that's you and I, beloved. That's, that's us. You know, We might even be at that. We might not even have a desire or a zeal to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But make yourself available for the work. Whatever your motivation might be, and God will use it. God will use it. Ah, but I'm too young. Well, so, so is Jeremiah. So is Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. Forty years 
preached Jeremiah to the people of Israel and we know not of one single convert in the Bible. Not one. And yet he preached in the streets of Jerusalem for 40 years. Ah, but I'm, I'm too unwilling to go. So was Jonah. So was Jonah. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Here we have the reluctant hero himself. He didn't care about the hearts of these people. He didn't care about the souls of these people. He didn't care about the lives of these people. He just made himself available to God. Matter of fact, in the end, he, he, he jumped into the ocean to, to, to run away from God and um, he was swallowed by a whale and the whale spat him back up on dry land. No, you, you're out to do a job. You know, you're an ambassador. He preached for three days. 40 days comes destruction. And 120,000 people, unable to tell between their right and their left hand, repented in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, but I'm not smart. I can't even read, Pastor. I can't even read. Well, so too the Apostle Peter. Yet to him was given the keys of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew sixteen 19. I've got you this time, Pastor. I've got you this time. I'm too smart. I'm too smart. I'm too smart, I'm too experienced, I'm too learned. Well, yeah, that's, that can be a problem and that might be a little bit of a challenge. The Bible does say knowledge puffeth up, so we recognise that. But it also goes on to say in that very same verse, but charity edifieth. Now, you need to consider who wrote that and it was the Apostle Paul. Well, who was more learned? Who was more learned in all of the New Testament than the Apostle Paul? Grew up at the feet of Gamaliel himself, he was, a, he was a preacher, he was a, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Uh, under the law, he was blameless. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, this man. Blameless under the law. And he was no more perfect man to be able to preach the gospel to all the world. All that needed, all that was required was a humility of heart. He had to have a love for the people. Charity, edify. A pastor, the last days are here now. The last days are here now. Pastor... We don't have enough time. Neither did the thief on the cross. Have a look how many people he saved. How many people have been saved by the testimony of the thief on the cross? How many deathbed conversions have occurred through his testimony? And what did he have time to do? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's it. You know? An ambassador is a messenger and our message, our message is not only from our lips but from our lives and for some it will be from their death. The word martyr means witness, means witness. People see the witness of your life and they want to know the God that you know. They want to know the God that you know. So you, an ambassador is a messenger. As ambassadors, we, are, we also have a message of warning in our text in 2 Corinthians 5. A message, an ambassador message is warning. 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 18 it says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, 
and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Within this passage is embedded a warning, a recognition that sin requires a reconciliatory, uh, reconciliatory work to be done. Something that's going to, that's currently separated you from God has to be dealt with in order to reconcile you to God. There is a warning there because at the moment, those who are still in their sins are far from God. Their sins are near to them and their souls are far from the Lord. They are separated. This book was a book that was written to the Corinthian church. It tells us that if this is written to the Corinthian church, the Corinthians were the Gentiles of the world. They were the heathens of the world. These, these aren't the Jews who have a history of the gospel within the Old Testament. They're not waiting for a Messiah. They're not looking for Christ. But Christ came and the message came and the heathens were converted. Turn your Bibles to the book of Obadiah. All right, this is going to be a challenge for you. Obadiah is one page. So out of all the pages in your book, you've got to find that one. If, you're in, if, you go to, if you've got a digital one, you can find it easily enough. Anybody who has turning pages, you know where the Psalms are. Turn right, go past all the major prophets, past Daniel, past Joel, past Amos. It's the next one. It's between Amos and Jonah. Between Amos and Jonah. All right. You got it? You found it? All right. One page. Matter of fact, it doesn't have any chapters because it's only one chapter. So we'll just read Obadiah 1 to 4. The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumour from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose inhabitance is high, thus that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and thou... And thou and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. These are the people of Edom. Edom, the people of Edom are the people of Esau. That's Jacob's brother. These are the heathen of the world. But they're small. They're small among the heathen. And they were set up in a rock. The place called Petra is where their historical home lies. They took over from the people that were there before, but... As God said, they would be destroyed from that place. And now even history can't recognize who the people were. Esau is this picture of the heathen world in this passage. And he needs to be warned about the danger that will come upon them for sin. So the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that we all like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. The psalmist actually says that if the Lord should mark iniquities, who shall stand? And that's a fair point. If the Lord would mark iniquities, who, who can stand? 
Now, in the pagan world today, we've got an interesting situation, and that is that almost everybody in the pagan world, the heathen world, believe that they're going to be okay as long as they are, you know, like 51% good. If they're more good than bad, they're good. Okay? That's generally how they work. Um, All the pagan religious systems that are out there are based on the same thing. They live by these imaginary scales. Now, what they use to be able to determine that scale, well, it's completely subjective. They They have no basis from which to be able to judge whether they are more good than bad. The problem that we have, however, is that any amount of bad is 100% opposite to God. God is righteous. He is holy. He can have no fellowship with the works of darkness. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? The reality is that we are born in sin. Original sin speaks about Adam's transgression. He was the first representative of all the human race, the entire lot of human beings and as the perfect representative his fall is by heredity passed on to all of us we are sinners and therefore we sin we are sinners and therefore we sin it's not sin that makes us sinners we sin because we are sinners that's our state and 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 if you think that that's unfair please understand something that um there was no better representative of all of mankind than Adam. He didn't have a corrupt nature. He was born already pure. You were born already in sin. You were born as a sinner. You were born already separated from God. So the message initially is bad. It's a warning. And the warning is that sin damns you. It damns you. And the longer you live, the more you sin. And the less you sleep, the more you sin. You know, not, not, people don't understand what doctors, physicians, philosophers don't even understand what sleep is. Did you know that? They don't even know what the purpose of sleep is. They talk about rest. But just lying there or sitting on a couch or lying in your bed should be enough to rest the body. What's sleep for? What do we sleep for? Well, God has a purpose with sleep. And at this stage, it's that we sin not. We're awake you know, two-thirds of our day, and we're already in trouble with that. Our lives are shortened compared to those of the ancient days. Why? Because God has so determined. God recognises that the evil that is in man, man thinks wicked, um, evil, in iniquity entirely. So he shortens our years in order to stem the evil. Could you imagine Hitler living a full life? Could you imagine Mussolini living a full life? Could you imagine them living to the years of... Those in the Old Testament before the flood. I can't even begin. Well, we saw what happened as a result of that, don't we? The entire world was overcome. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We get a clarity here with regards to the warning for the heathen world who will not recognize their own sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Paul writes here, making clear to the people that are there, to the church there, saying, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, 
nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, people worry about themselves and their sin. Here you are identified by your sin and cast into hell with your sin. It is your sin that separates you from God. It is sin that grieves you through your guilt. It is that guilt that causes most of your life's pains and struggles and depressions and fears. It's the guilt that does that. You feel guilty because you are guilty. And there is no remedy. But God. We'll, 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 I don't want to tell you yet what God has done. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more to the but God passages in the last point. Um, so we'll leave that at this point. But enough for you to understand that as an ambassador of God, you've got a duty to warn the world of that which is to come upon them. The judgment of the day of vengeance that will come to every man at death and also the judgment that is coming upon the world in time to come. The message is one of warning to the heathen world, which we need to remember. We need to remember that God is there to warn the people. In Psalm 9, verses 15 to 20, the psalmist writes, The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they have made. In the net which they hid is their foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Hagion, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the, of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. If there was ever a time where that passage is more important to be shared, it's now. If there was ever a time where people can be able to identify and recognize that they are fallen and that they are sinners in the hands of an angry God, it is now. The troubles that we have in the world is man trying to make the best of the world. And if this is the best efforts that man can undertake to do, oh, I, can only, I can only perish to think what would happen if they didn't try. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that had wives be as though they had none. And they that weep as though they wept not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. The judgment of God is very soon coming to this world. But not until man makes a complete mess of it through sin. Man will make a complete mess of this world through sin. It'll be sin that condemns him to hell but not before he makes hell of this world because of his sin. But God. What a wonderful, wonderful little phrase. But God. The last point this morning, an ambassador's message is one of salvation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's something strange going on here, something really weird in this. this there's a transaction 
being done. There's a, a transaction where God had made Christ to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's a transaction being undertaken here and, and this is a transaction which is being done when the Lord Jesus Christ died on that cross, he became sin judged. He spoke about it, you remember that, in John chapter 3 when he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's referring back to the book of Numbers when the serpents were biting the people because of their own sin and all of them perished. The only way that they could be healed God had told Moses and instructed him to make a brazen serpent, to put it on a, on, a, on a tree and put it up in the wilderness that all may behold it. Whoever beholds that serpent, no matter where they are, all they needed to do was behold it and they would be healed. And Jesus Christ is likening what he was yet to do at that time to that. That serpent is a picture of sin. The brass is a serpent of judgment. Jesus Christ became sin. For us, He became sin judged on that cross for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And only those who beheld Christ, who behold the Lord Jesus Christ, who believe the gospel of Christ, they will be righteous in God's eyes. The message of the messenger that he brings from heaven to earth is one of reconciliation to all who desire it. Hell licks at the feet of sinners who are held over it by the thinnest of threads. It's God's mercy that does not see them fall right now into hell. The weight of their own sin piles on their shoulders, straining desperately against this thread that keeps them from falling. And if sleep didn't come upon them, you'd figure that the weight of sin would already have been too much for that thread to bear and they would have already been cast into hell. Their years have been shortened in order to, to, to not permit that from happening because the weight of sin again would just be building up and they would be cast into that lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. But God, 44 times. 44 times that phrase, but God, appears in the Bible. 19 times in the Old Testament, 25 times in the New. But God, worth the study. Worth the study. Have a look at how that phrase, but God, appears in the Scriptures and you would be amazed. Analyze it. Break it down and see how many times it's God's deliverance of people. It's God's safeguard. It's God's way of being able to deliver people from whatever evil that they are a part of. Have a look at how it's presented. We'll have a look at only a handful of them as we close the message this morning. Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. Paul writes here, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. This verse answers the question of another but God passage in Mark 2.7 where they, where they look at Christ and they say, Who can forgive sins but God only? Passage related to sins and forgiveness. While you blasphemed God, Christ died for us. While you lied to your mum, Christ died for us. 
While you stole from your employer, Christ died. While you crossed the street to avoid a meeting of someone that you didn't want to approach, the Lord Jesus Christ died for you. While you took sides against the innocent, Christ died for us. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You notice something that's interesting about that? What's interesting about that is you don't have to first try and be good in order to get God's favour. He died for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us while we were yet in sin. The Lord died. He died knowing our state. He died knowing our our nature. He died knowing that we are separate from God. You don't have to try and be good enough. There's a lot of people that say that. I'll, I'll just try and get rid of this sin or this sin or the other and I'll try and be good enough and then I'll come to church or then I'll believe the gospel. It doesn't work that way. You come in the rotten rags that you're in and you submit yourself to the Lord, believe the gospel. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ paid for the sin of the world and the shedding of his blood accomplished the work for which he was sent to complete. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, says the Bible in Hebrews 9.22. But just as the wages of sin is death, there can also be no sign of life without victory over death. And the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was that sign. The wages of sin is death. We needed to see a sign of victory over death. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. As an ambassador, Paul is certainly one of the principal examples of a messenger. He was a herald of of good news everywhere he went. And to the Jews first, he tells of the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds the Jews of that which was written aforetime. He tells them of the coming of John and the scriptures also that were foretold. And he tells of the death of Christ at their own hand. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 28, he begins the summary of the gospel this way. Though they found no cause of death in him, he's speaking about those who had crucified Christ, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulchre. But God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. It's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He raised him from the dead. Death now has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. The Lord Jesus Christ not only claimed victory over sin because he paid the penalty of sin on that cross, now being risen from the dead, he claims victory over death itself, which was the wages of sin. So the entire reconciliation is completed. We have hope not in our death. We have hope in the life of Christ. We will live because he lives. He is our example. He's defeated death. And because of that, death has lost its sting. No longer will death usher us immediately into hell. Now death immediately ushers us to heaven. We close our eyes in death. We open our eyes in Christ. We close our eyes here. We open them in heaven. And this is the message of reconciliation. This is the message that an ambassador of Christ, an ambassador from this heavenly kingdom, is going to be bringing into this world. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Paul writes about this emphatic victory in Romans chapter 8, verse 37 to 39. He says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our final observation of the last but God passage for today's message is, as an ambassador of heaven, yours is only to deliver the message. That's it. Your role is to deliver the message. You cannot convert a soul. You can only deliver the message of God. That's all that you can do. The ambassador is not charged to bring about an increase in the heart of man. That's not an ambassador's job. It's not an ambassador's role. His role is only to plant and to water. That's it. His is only to speak the message of the hope that is already in him. And Paul made that point clear as he wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3.6. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. An incredible passage. And what a relief. What a relief. Could you imagine the relief in Jeremiah's heart, you know? I mean, today it's pretty tough. You know, if you were a person who, say, for example, you were a a sales rep of a particular company and you're going out there and you're telling people about the product and no one buys it, how long are you going to keep your job? Not going to last very long. Jeremiah would be a real sorry sight, the poor guy. 40 years and not a single convert. If he was judged based on the results... Well, he doesn't know what the results are, to be perfectly honest. The result of God is the word of God having its work within people's hearts. Some will turn to the Lord. Some will not. Either way, the gospel will divide people. Some will believe. Some will not believe. And those who will not believe will face that judgment because they now need to give an account for their own sin. Those who have believed are free from that judgment because the judgment that they believed in was already Put upon the Lord Jesus Christ. They are now free to go. They've accepted the payment of the debt that Jesus Christ had paid for them, while these wanted to pay that debt themselves. That's the difference. That's the difference. They hate God. And in their hatred of God, they want to pay their own their own debt. You know, they won't accept the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who have loved him will, and those who love him will continue to. Until then, this is our responsibility. Until then, I want you to know of a certainty that it is God who will keep you. It is God who will preserve you. It is God who will sustain you. And it is God who will use you to whatever end. You are here under God's mercy and blessing and you are here under his charge. And if it is fit for him to preserve our lives for as long as the Apostle John... Or whether or not it's fit that we die in preaching of the gospel as all the other apostles died, then you need to know of a certainty that God will keep you until that time. You're, well, invincible until then. You cannot die until the Lord says it's time. You cannot suffer for any purpose unless the Lord has a purpose. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Throughout history, when tensions rise in nations around the world, when the nations of the world are at risk of hostility and war, 
when relationships between nations decay to the point that they seem irreconcilable, the ambassadors are recalled home. (laughs) Ascending nation have never willfully left their ambassadors in foreign lands when the relationships break down. They've never done it. Not willfully. They've always called. They've always recalled their ambassadors. Always. Having preached the gospel to the world now for 2,000 years, the Lord has had his ambassadors in every nation of the world. And while there were nations friendly to the king of heaven, ambassadors remained to continue the work. But there will come a time, a time when the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. A time when that number that God has already ordained be saved are saved. And it will come at that time where the world will become hostile to the King of Glory. And his ambassadors will be recalled from around the world in a moment. The twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And we will be changed. And that time is near. Ours is a message that we are to preach to the lost heathen world till the fullness of the Gentiles be coming. God has a goal. We are charged to fulfill it until that time where he comes to claim his harvest. We are his ambassadors. Maranatha. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, so much for your wonderful words. We thank you for the joy and the truth of the scriptures. We ask and pray, dear Lord, that those who would hear this message would be inspired for the preaching of the word of God and the gospel of Christ. And we ask and pray, dear Lord, that those who do not know you yet will believe the gospel and recognize that Jesus Christ came and died for their sin, that they may have eternal life and that you might multiply the ambassadors in this world for your kingdom and the one that we are looking forward to seeing, the one that we are homesick for, But Lord, ever give us a love for the people that are here. Ever give us the courage and the boldness to break our silence and to share the wonderful hope of the kingdom of God. We thank you, dear Lord, for this time and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.